Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And it's time for a classic episode, folks. This is an episode that originally published May 21st, 2014. It is called How Clothes Dryers Work. So it goes kind of hand in hand with the how washing machines work. If you've been listening to these classic episodes, you know, a few weeks ago I did that one. But, uh, you know, while that one left me all wet, this one blows me away. Puns. Let's listen in. So what was the first clothes dryer, Lauren? The sun. Yeah, that thing is just pulling so much double duty. I mean, triple duty, like like quintuple duty. It's, uh, it's, what's what's above? Qu- yeah, like infinite duty. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of duty going on with the sun, including drying our clothes. So clearly, if you've ever had to dry clothes without having the use of a dryer. I, I've done this. I, I think a lot of people have done this at some point or another, maybe fewer today than back when I was a kid. But um, and, and it depends on where you live. If you're in the middle of a city, perhaps. Yeah, maybe not so much. You might have gone to a laundromat or mm-hmm. something. But most uh, if you look at history, most people use the sun in some form or another. Uh, by laying wet clothes that have just been washed out on, on, on a rock or hanging it on a line or over the branch of a tree. Yep. And just letting the sun do its thing, evaporate all that water, it would usually take, you know, a couple hours, mm-hmm. um, depending upon where you were at, how hot it was, how humid it was. Uh, humidity could slow things down, obviously. Uh, but it not only dried out the clothing, it would also cause colors to fade over time, sometimes pretty quickly, depending upon the dye being used. Now, sometimes you plan for that. Mm-hmm. That was what you wanted. In fact, the Romans used to use various types of minerals and rub them in on the, the cloth they would make. Uh, during the drying process in order to um, specifically fade or or even bleach it. Yeah. So that way you get that nice white toga look. Um, and then you can go to all the parties because in Roman times they were all toga parties. Uh, OK, I was going to see if I could get an eye roll, but instead Lauren <laughs> just gave me the staring right into my soul look, which is terrifying. So we're going to move on. Uh, OK, so so washer technology evolved um it really intricately, as as you may have heard in our previous episode. But since the sun is relatively effective and drying clothes this way is not really difficult, backbreaking, time consuming work, dryer technology didn't really develop along the same lines. Yeah, it just it wasn't as big a deal because, yeah, to wash something, you had to put in a lot of effort, right? You had to, especially before the washing machine, you had to scrub things manually or stomp on them or beat them against rocks or throw them away and get new stuff. I mean, it just was not easy to do. And so there was a need to develop automation there. It just, it felt like there's, this is so much work. It's, it's the, the, the woman's dread, as we said in the last podcast, according to one quote. So that made sense. But for drawing, like you said, it was, it was free to dry it by the sun. So you didn't have to, you know, put in any kind of expense there, except maybe for a clothesline. Maybe. And maybe some, yeah. maybe some clothes pins, but that's about it. And, uh, yeah, you just had to lay it out and collect it. That's all the labor that was involved. So it wasn't as important to develop a dryer, but it didn't make things convenient, right? You couldn't have dry clothes very quickly using that rate. Mm-hmm. So and if it happened to be raining or something like that, yeah. So 
there certainly were people who were thinking there's got to be a way to dry clothes, even if the weather's bad, or to do it more quickly than just putting them all out in the sun for a few hours. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that a lot of people were doing this, but the history of this kind of thing is a wee bit contentious, as we find out every time we look into the history of something. Yeah, as it turns out, when you want to look at the history of something that's been around for at least a couple, uh, like a a century or more. Uh, And especially something that was done by the lower classes who were not writing about it or, or certainly not contributing to scientific journals very frequently. Or perhaps didn't bother to patent something, uh, yeah. then mm-hmm. it's hard to find reliable records. So here's a big caveat for all the historical stuff you're about to listen to, dear listeners. The caveat is that we did a lot of background research to try and verify as many claims as we could, and a lot of them are unverifiable, meaning that there are no primary sources Mm -hmm. that are definitive. There are a lot of sources that quote each other, but it becomes kind of a circular thing. Yeah, uh, which does happen on the Internet, uh, not entirely infrequently. Right. Um, But so so most of what we're going to tell you comes directly from the U.S. Patent Office. That's what I relied upon most heavily, although our first example is not among them because it wasn't a United States invention. It was actually a French one. Uh, this is one you're going to see if you ever do a search for the history of dryers. This is going to pop up all the time. Usually the year is specifically 1799, but the best I'm going to say is around the year 1800. A French inventor known only as Pochon, P-O-C-H-O-N, sometimes listed as M. Pochon, but I believe the M is for Monsieur Pochon, not necessarily a name a that name. begins with M, uh, created what he called a ventilator which to me sounds like a weapon you would pick up in Duke Nukem. But in this case, a ventilator was a metal drum that had some small holes in it. So that might start to sound familiar already mm-hmm. to anyone who's used a dryer. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'd put your wet clothing into the drum and yep. uh, turn it using a hand crank. Right. And you think, well, OK, so now you're just turning a drum full of wet clothes with holes in it. What else? You have to put it near a fire. Yeah. As your source of heat. Get them warm. Now, here's the thing. Um Sometimes this meant that clothes would get a little, uh, you know, burnt. Or, yeah, a little, little extra crispy um, or, or full of smoke in any case. Yeah, so you would end up damaging clothes this way. And according to most reports, this is the first tumble dryer, but it didn't catch on, mostly because of the downsides, right? The idea that you would end up damaging clothes. Well, if you're going to damage them, then that's not helpful at all. So the interesting thing to me is that this basic approach that he took ends up being the the kind of the central design of dryers in the future. It would just take a long time to perfect the heating element. Yeah, like a couple hundred years. Yeah. So 1800. <laughs> sorry. Uh, but uh, yeah, but it, it's interesting that, again, we couldn't really find any primary sources on this. So this story could be apocryphal. However, I'm going to go ahead and say that it sounds... Like it's possible. So we'll give it a pass. Sure. Uh, Then in 1888, this is the next really official dryer technology that Mm -hmm. we have to report on. And it's one that we actually mentioned in our episode about washing machines. That's when um, Ellen Egley invented a ringer to sit on top of washing machines and and help dry out the laundry before you hang it on a line. Yeah. So so that's that squeezing mechanism. Yeah, the two the two rollers and Uh and it rolls the clothing between and squeezes them with incredible pressure that could crush your fingers if you get them too close. Don't do it. Right, right. Uh, The the design would later be integrated into washing machine models Mm -hmm. uh, until these tumble dryers later caught on. Yeah. 
1892, we have another African-American inventor, this one by the name George T. Sampson, who filed a patent for a clothes dryer. In this case, he spelled dryer D-R-I-E-R, which some of the patents are in that spelling. Some of them are D-R-Y-E-R. They can do what they want. Yep. His invention wasn't a tumble dryer, however, although I saw a lot of notes that said it was an improvement or, in the case of some of them, a betterment of Pochon's approach. Uh, it was wasn't like Pochon's approach. No, it wasn't a tumble dryer. The, I think the betterment or improvement would be that he used a, a, a stove as the heat source as opposed to an open flame. So it reduced the kind of damage that could happen. But yes, he, as you pointed out, it was not a tumble dryer. It was not like a drum that you put clothes in. It was more of a, a frame and you would put the clothes within the frame, secure it in the frame. And then put the suspend the frame near the stove okay. and the heat would would end mm-hmm. up evaporating the uh, the water out of the clothing. So uh, it's and that patent is in the, the, the records. So you can actually go and look at it. And if you look at it, you'll see it is not a tumble dryer. It's not the same style as Pochon. So that tells me something else. It tells me that some of the websites that I pulled up while I was doing this just didn't go and look at the patents. They just reported it as being like this was an improvement on that tumble dryer and uh, always go that extra step. Do your research, yeah. guys. Yeah. Oh. I, I'm saying that to all of our listeners because I expect that they they will occasionally have to write things. Like mm-hmm. if you're a student, you may have to write a paper. This is why taking that extra step, like if you just find a web page that says it's about that stuff, see if you can find a primary source because it's always going to give you a, a better idea of what the real story and is. Deeper insight. Yeah. So 1922, then we have a patent by Seward H. Davis for his clothes drying machine. And it's interesting. So now he's decided to incorporate an oven directly into the device to generate heat. So we're still creating an oven. It's preheating air uh, because obviously an oven's not going to generate heat at the speed where you could just blow air across it and it's going to be hot. Uh, Right, right. So you would, but he also incorporated a motor in his. It was a motor that was connected by pulleys to a rotating drum. So going back to that Pochon approach. Uh, right. And it would rotate in one direction for a few turns and then uh, go back the other way. Yeah. Because according to Davis, you didn't want to continuously rotate it in one direction or else the clothes would become hopelessly entangled with one another. And uh, it would just end up being a big mess. So his design had it where it would rotate one way than the other. And that would prevent the clothes from clumping. getting, yeah, yeah, from clumping and getting all like, super friendly inside the dryer. You want your clothes to be a little bit antagonistic. Right? Yeah, you, you don't you don't want any fraternization inside the tumbler is what I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, pretty interesting. And then he also he also specifically pointed out in the patent that the whole idea was to allow the clothes to fall, to tumble. Like you didn't want to just spin and try and force the water out, but to tumble because that tumbling motion would have it go through that hot air and thus mm-hmm. evaporate the water much more quickly. Pushing the air through it and therefore, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of cool. 1925, Henry Sieben, he attempts a different approach. His patent has a clothes dryer that is more like a heated cabinet with wire shelving inside it. So imagine that you have like a little like cabinet or a closet and it's got wire shelves and you put the clothes on the shelves and then you have an electric fan that draws air through the machine, which allowed for faster drying. Now, he didn't specifically include an element that would heat air, but you would presumably have this near some sort of other device that would heat the air like a stove. Right. So this cabinet would just pull the air through, which would circulate through the clothes. So kind of similar to Seward H. Davis's approach of tumbling. They, they were. But they're stationary. So mm-hmm. it's just pulling the air. Okay. Yeah. So, again, this this 
another idea that becomes important in uh, in modern day dryers. So the the important thing to remember here is the fan that pulls the air through. These are all various elements, the tumbler pulling the air through. These are all things that are going to come into play with the modern day dryers. Now, you still had to preheat the air, though, with something like a stove. Then we get to 1937. Now, here's the guy that most people credit most as people being. Most people cite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, although, again, the citations different from what I was able to find. OK, see, because he, he filed for a patent in 1937. This is uh, James R. Moore. James R. Moore. Right. Thank you. Um, uh, it wasn't granted until 1945. Yeah. Which we suspect World War II probably had something to do yeah, with. People yeah. had other stuff on their minds. Right. The patent office was probably drafted. Uh, so, yeah, 1937 is the filing and 1945 is the awarding. Makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was for a clothes drying machine. And this is the basis for clothes dryers as we now know them. And so he, what he did was he added uh, applying heated air that didn't need to be preheated in an oven. He wanted to have a heating element, either gas powered or electric, uh-huh. and in fact would eventually create both types. Uh, right. He he also created a ventilation system so that air can can move through the dryer and then exhaust out of it. Carrying that water vapor out. So you see, this is the combination of that rotating drum and that idea of, of the, the cabinet. fan right. to pull. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So by combining the two, he has the best approach. And in fact, you could tell it's the best approach because it's the one that lasted the test of time. So, uh, yeah, he, uh, has often cited in a lot of the, the websites we saw as having patented this, this approach as early as 1930. But I went to the patent office. I, I mean, online to the patent office. I did a full, <laughs> you didn't like, you didn't go there. I didn't actually no. take a trip to the patent no. office. I think they would have, machine. they probably would have thrown me out of the patent office. They were like, how did you find your way in here? And I was like, I'd like to see your archives from 1930. <laughs> yeah, that probably would not have gone over well. They said, you, you've heard of the Internet, right? Well, you can actually do searches online on the patent office. Google has a great patent search yeah, yeah. function, but you can also go to the U.S. patent office and use their search function. I use both because I could not find it in one. So I wanted to try both versions yeah, yeah. just uh, in case. Google's you need to find uh, keywords pretty, pretty acutely. Yeah, but it but it's. It's a little more forgiving, uh, but with the U.S. one, you can find everything listed in chronological order, whereas with Google, you get it by order of relevance to right. your query. So, in other words, you might see the first one pop up and say 1945, and the next one says 1927, and the next one says 1983, and you're like, oh, man, it's going to take forever to find the oldest one. U.S. patent does it chronologically, with the oldest being the last on the list. I went through both. The earliest I could find was 1937 as a filing date, let alone a patent granted date. So I have no idea where they pulled this date of 1930. They also said that he sold the patent in 1936, but he didn't even file for a patent until 1937. I don't know where you get your information, Internet. But you should check it more carefully. Yeah. So anyway, uh, he did file in 1937 and he did end up working with another company in 1938. That company would be the Hamilton Manufacturing Company, located in Two Rivers, Wisconsin. Pride and joy of Wisconsin, of Two Rivers, Wisconsin, anyway. They actually have a museum dedicated to this uh, former manufacturing company. And they used uh, James R. Moore's design. They actually paid him for this. And they released in 1938 the June Day Clothes Dryer, based off this design. Uh, the early models used gas for heat to heat the heating element. Uh, so you'd have to like light the pilot light every time you wanted to dry a load of laundry. Yeah. And then once you were done drying that load of laundry, you, you should to, probably remember to blow it out. Yeah. You had to extinguish it or else uh, you would just be wasting lots of gas uh, or possibly creating a fire hazard. 
Which, by the way, dryers, big fire hazards. Right. In general, do not run your dryer and then leave the house just in case. I mean, don't want to scare anybody, but it is. But, it is, but, but lint fires can happen. Yeah. So just a little word of caution in the middle of the episode. But yeah, later models were uh, electric and they still created the gas ones, too. But uh, manufacturing was interrupted shortly after they started. They they produced about 6,000 of them and then stopped suddenly, all because of the event we have already referenced in this the podcast. The aforementioned World War II. Yep. So World War II causes a manufacturer to stop. This was the case across multiple industries because, oh, sure. yeah, the war effort needed all that material mm-hmm. and, and labor. And a lot of the factory space. Yes. So all of that meant that... Uh, Dryers were not seen as being important to the war effort. It was put on hold. But in 1947, World War II was was over and the Hamilton Manufacturing Company got back into this, but they were no longer the only game in town. By this time, another big company, much bigger than Hamilton Manufacturing, actually, got into the clothes dryer game, and that would be General Electric. And so then it was off to the races, but but not not fast races. And not, not cheap races. No, incredibly expensive races. Very, very slow, expensive races. While we're tumbling around inside the clothes dryer, I thought maybe we should take a quick break. We'll be right back. Around the same time, the first electric dryer to include a glass window in the front was introduced. And this is a design element. You know, it's, it's, it's just kind of nice to look at. But yeah. I wanted to mention it because it was designed by Brooks Stevens, who's another Wisconsinite. He, he was a Wisconsin designer who also worked in, in architecture, furniture, and auto design, including that greatest car of all, the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. Oh, man. Truly a visionary. We could do a... A full episode just on that. Actually, I should mention all the inventors we've talked about have done some pretty phenomenal things besides inventing dryers. <laughs> so, uh, but this, I mean, no one approached creating the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile. So, you know, we won't go back and, and fill those out. 1950s. Well, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, a dryer in the mid 1950s cost about $230, which if you adjust for inflation, would be closer to $2,000 for a dryer. Yeah, so not a whole lot of people could afford it, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I should also point out that this same paper cited some of the erroneous sources that I mentioned earlier. Hmm. Um, The ones that could not be supported by, say, the Patent Office. I guess the Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Patent Offices don't don't talk to each other frequently. 1958. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this interdepartmental stress type thing. (laughs) 1958, this was, I had to include it. I mean, there are some crazy patents out there, y'all. Uh-huh. If you if you ever have a really slow day and you just want to amuse yourself, just start typing random words into a, a Google patent search. and then You get some fun stuff. Enjoy. Yeah. But one of the crazy ones I found was uh, filed by William C. Sholin. And the title of the patent is Hair Drying Attachment for Clothes Dryer. This, this cannot be what I think it is. I mean. Well, it. If you think it's you putting your hair in a clothes dryer, it's not. But if you think it's a tube connected to your clothes dryer that's used as a hair dryer, it totally is. It's a tube using the heat from the the uh, uh, the, the yeah. dryer. I guess I guess you know it's good to conserve energy, and so if you're already creating that heat, you might as well yeah dry your your hair hair with even it. though it, even though you're mostly using steam at that point. Yeah, so. 
Uh, the, the hairdryer, it's one of those where it's got like the whole thing that comes, uh, the, the, the full head, the, bowl the helmet. Looking yeah. Thing. yeah. I have no idea what those are called. Uh, my hair days are long over, but anyway, it would fit over the person's head and, uh, and presumably dry it using the heat from the hairdryer. Um, I don't know how popular this invention was if it were ever actually, uh, you know, built. Because just because something's patented doesn't mean that you're going to have real examples of it. But if you want to look this up, I got a treat for you. Here's the patent number you can put into a search. 3,064,360. And you can look at the uh, illustrations. Uh, depending upon the patent search you put in, you may or may not need to use the commas in that number. You just could put in the digits 3064360. It's entertaining. But obviously, I can't really show it on an audio podcast. Uh, at any rate, in 1959, um, a, a vacuum chamber related dryer was proposed. Yeah. Right? William Lambert Chanley filed a patent for a, a, a dryer that would use a vacuum chamber. And this makes sense when you think about it in the sense that it, in a vacuum, it takes less heat to, <laughs> to evaporate water. water. Yeah. So if you're able to create a partial vacuum. We're not talking like a complete vacuum. Right, no. But if you were able to create a partial vacuum within a dryer, then you could You're reduce the You're lowering the pressure and, right. Yeah, you don't have to heat up the air as much, so you don't have to pour as much energy in it. As we'll talk about a little bit later, it takes a lot of energy to power a dryer. In fact, it's one of the most uh, energy-hungry appliances that a typical house has. Mm-hmm. So this would be a way of reducing that. Also, Chanley maintained that the high, quote-unquote, roasting temperatures of clothes dryers and the fast rotation of the drum meant that clothing was being damaged and turned into lint and that his invention would appeal to people who wanted to get a more gentle drying of their clothing. It wouldn't huh. require as much uh, rigor. Now, this particular approach uh, has been uh, experimented with a few times, but it's tough to make a chamber that is a partial vacuum, particularly if you need to have an exhaust to the outside to get rid of steam, then you can't really make a, a, a vacuum without crazy valves and then having a venting time as well as a, a vacuum time and, and 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 more energy being put in even than a regular dryer. Yeah, you yeah. can't you obviously can't keep introducing hot air into such a thing because then you wouldn't have a vacuum. So it's it's one of those that was an interesting idea, but no one I think has really found a way of implementing it where it really made sense. Plus, it it makes it. You know, it's hard to make a partial vacuum. It means mm-hmm. they would make it more expensive. Yeah, uh, they, they are working. NASA is funding someone to work on something related to that. But I'll talk about that way at the end of the podcast. Excellent. There's a little teaser for you. So in the 1970s, again, going back to our friends at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, while they're not talking to the patent office, the price of a dryer was closer to $190, which in today's money is closer to a grand. So half the expense of what it was in the 1950s. So not too shabby. Yeah. And about 45 percent of all households had one. Okay. So when we get up to 1997, the unit price is about $340. So remember, it was $190 in the 1970s, $340 in 97. And you think, oh, what the heck? The price went up. It didn't go down. Well, except that when you adjust for inflation from 1997, it's still pretty close to $340. So the value has of that money has increased. The buying power has mm-hmm. increased um, uh, for that amount for $340. So you don't. So it's actually cheaper in the long run. Um, and 78 percent of households owned a dryer by this time. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that same year, over in Europe, a manufacturer called Electrolux would develop an energy-efficient type of machine, uh, the heat pump or hydronic dryer. Over the next several years, um, they'd, they'd gain market share kind of slowly but surely over in Europe and also in Australia, although they have not caught on yet in the United States. Um, more on how those work later on, but but they're pretty cool. They, they use some like 40 to 50 percent of the amount of energy that traditional dryers do. So that's so that's pretty awesome. Yeah. And now we're getting up to to just about today, right? Uh huh. Yeah. In 2013. Okay. So so every year, Energy Star, which is a program within the EPA, the the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, mm-hmm. um, they announce an area of technology that's deserving of what they call an Emerging Technology Award. And in 2013, it was advanced clothes dryers, um, w- which makes sense according to Consumer Reports. Dryers account for some six percent of U.S. home energy use. Uh, which accounts for for three hundred dollars or more per year. Which is, think about this: you aren't running your dryer constantly, right? You run your dryer occasionally when you have to do laundry, and you don't necessarily have to do laundry every single day. So, if you're talking about an appliance that you only use occasionally and it makes up six percent of your energy, that's that's incredible. Yeah, yeah, it, it means that you know. Really small innovations could make for pretty huge savings in, in terms of both money and, you know, overall carbon footprint. Sure. Um, so so the EPA specifically or Energy Star, I guess I should say, specifically called out a Samsung model uh, named cleverly DV457. Oh, rolls off the tongue. It does. Mm. Um, uh, that it estimates could save enough energy to run an efficient clothing washer for 11 months. Um, and also has an integrated smart system for monitoring your clothes remotely via app. <laughs> Yo, dog, your shirt is dry. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I mean, you're 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 joking, but there are sensors in these new kinds of dryers that will test moisture right. in your clothing, so that, and way so that they can, can shut off automatically exactly, yeah. when your clothes are dry. That, that was time. one of the um, one of the specific considerations for this award. It, it had to. The, the dryers they were looking at had to contain at least two types of sensors for determining when your clothes are dry. Uh, and, and then just that, that way you cutting don't... off the cycle. Yeah, you don't have it continuing for some predetermined amount of time. When the clothes are already dry, there's no need to keep it going. Mm-hmm. I mean... You're just wasting energy and shrinking clothes. Unless you're strapped for entertainment and that's just, you know, you're just sitting there watching the clothes tumble. In which case, hi, Dr. Horrible. You know, I thought I'd said it on Delicates. Turns out I said it on Bulky... But let's be fair, the pandemic means I really put on a lot of pounds, so it's probably more appropriate for me to be on the bulky setting. Uh, While I process this, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, so now we're back. We're ready to specifically dig into how dryers work. And we've kind of mentioned a lot of the elements already. You've got a typical clothes dryer. So we're talking about just your basic model that run we found. Run of the mill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most of, mostly in the United States. This is the type you're going to run into. Um, it has a, a rotating tumbler. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's your drum that rotates around and around and the, the clothes tumble within it. Uh, you've got some kind of heating element to heat air, which is then uh, somehow drawn through that tumbler. Right. So you probably have uh, holes in the tumbler to allow air to pass Ventilation, through. Ventilation, yeah. And then you've got an exhaust pipe of some sort so you can vent out that. The, the, the warm, humid air. Yeah, because, you know, you don't want to keep the steam in there. It's just going to make the clothes take even longer to dry. Mm-hmm. So by venting it out and constantly replacing it with dry, warm air, you're going to end up, you know, drying them much faster. You just vent out all the steam. So let's start talking about all these various elements and how they work together. 
Let's start with the fan. Yeah, yeah. Let's start. Let's start at the end. Yeah. The end because the end is the beginning. The beginning is the end. It is the alpha and the omega of the clothes dryer. It's a flat circle. Yeah. Yeah, it is. We didn't mean to get all philosophical, but it is pretty late on a Thursday afternoon, guys, and things get weird. So the fan is located at the exhaust end of the dryer. It's not at the very front of the dryer. It's at the very end of it. But it ends up, when it turns, pulling air in from the dryer and exhausting it out the exhaust vent. That's the direction of airflow. So it's not blowing air in. It's essentially pulling air out of it. Right. So that means you've got to have some place for air to come into the dryer or else it is trying to create a vacuum. Right. Which is less effective. That's less effective. Uh, yeah. If you just have a heating element and you create a vacuum, then you've got a hot spot in your in your uh, dryer and no air inside the, the tumbler. And that's not going to help. So these dryers have vents or holes that are in them that allow air to pass into the actual dryer and and yeah be pulled in yep pulled in and then passed over a heating element which as we mentioned before is either powered by gas or electric power Mm -hmm. so this heating element um we'll talk about that in just a second but that's what's creating the the increase in temperature in the air Mm -hmm. oh which will then once it is warm continue into the tumbler where the clothes are yeah i mean if you've loaded your dryer correctly where the clothes should be exactly if the clothes are not in there you've you've done something very wrong yeah and we've made some assumptions and we apologize but no you put the clothes in the tumbler that's where the warm air goes into next it passes into the door area that's where the lint screen is. the air not the clothes yes the air yes if your clothes are passing through the door area you have not replaced the lint screen and you should do that so yeah the lint screen is there obviously to capture lint from clothing so it doesn't end up clogging up the rest of the system uh, but that's where the airflow goes to next. So it's coming in through the these venting areas into the tumbler, out through the door venting area, uh, pulled, passes through the fan, because that uh, the next stop is where the fan is, mm-hmm. and then the fan blows it out the exhaust area, which mm-hmm. usually you have some sort of weird, that, that tubing stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the tubing stuff that you can cut in half, and then you can have robot arms. My cosplay is different from your cosplay. <laughs> That is accurate. <laughs> I have a video that proves that. So that's your basic airflow. And that is the secret to drying the clothes is it's introducing this dry, warm air, mm-hmm. possibly dry, hot air. It all depends upon the the mode you've set it on. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, certainly. OK, so let's talk about how it gets warm or hot. What is this heating element like? OK, uh, have you ever seen a toaster like just I, a regular toaster? I have, in fact, seen a toaster. And, you know, when you when you set I mean, we're the, not talking about Cylons, right? No, no. I mean, no. Because I've seen those, too. We don't want to talk about the Cylons because they might show up. No, we're talking about toaster toasters. Okay. So we're talking about, you know, you put a put a piece of bread in a toaster mm-hmm. and you set it down. Then you see those little wires turn red hot. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what we're talking about. Same sort of heating element. It's made huh. out of nichrome wire. Okay. So what you're doing is you're passing a current through this wire. Mm-hmm. The wire has a resistance to current. Resistance mm-hmm. means uh, that... Quite a lot of resistance, yeah, actually. Yeah, Um It's sort of the opposite of what you want to do in any kind of electronic wire technology where yeah. you're trying to insulate it so much that, that it has as low of a resistance as possible. Right, yeah. When, with low resistance, you make it really, really efficient, right? You're not losing energy to heat. But mm-hmm. in this case, what you want to do is generate heat. Is lose as much energy to heat as possible. Because that's the kind of energy you want, is the heat energy. Mm-hmm. You're not interested in passing electricity on to some other point. So in this case, this electricity gets converted into heat due to that electrical resistance. And uh, this is the element of the dryer that consumes the most power. The the rotating drum, not even close. The fan, not even close. It's this heating element. So a typical dryer is pulling in like 4,000 to 6,000 watts. 
That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've got the tumbler. Uh, it's, it's a really simple pulley system, actually. Yeah. You know, you got a motor, uh, the motor, electric motor or, you know, gas powered motor. Uh-huh. Uh, a belt attaches from the motor to, to the tumbler. Yep. And, uh, the, the motor turns that ends up turning the belt, which ends up turning the tumbler. Mm-hmm. It's pretty, it's one of the simplest machines ever, actually, the pulley system. So yeah, usually you have to have maybe, you know, two pulleys that are involved. One is uh, creating tension on the other so that it stays in place. Cause obviously. Sure. Like if it slips a belt, that's when you're starting to get this weird noise and your dryer's not going to be turning properly and then you need to shut things down before your motor burns out. But assuming everything's working fine, it's just going to turn the tumbler. Uh, next we have the controls. So we have two different types of controls, right? The, the modern dryers you would buy in a, an appliance store today, most of them have digital controls, which involve having a microcontroller. But if you're going with an old dryer, let's say like the kind of dryer I grew up with, where it had like a dial and Uh buttons. And a little punch button. Yeah, you would punch the button saying, okay, I'm going to do permanent press. And you push the permanent press button and it and it clicks in. And then you would turn the dial to the right setting. And then uh, it would be possessed and start rumbling. (laughs) Um, And and that's because there would be a a series of of, of gears. Yeah, um, and cams. uh So... and, and it worked a little bit like a like an egg timer. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, you had like a you know, so you, have you had can- you had a physical capacity that that when it ran out, it would it would cause a shutoff valve, a, a, a shutoff circuit to right. disconnect. Yeah, because with a cam, you can think of it as like think of it like a metal key, and when the metal key makes contact with a contact point, it completes a circuit. Right. Right. So when the circuits complete, electricity can flow, and then as long as that that key is making contact with a contact point. It'll stay in place. The electricity will continue to flow. But at the timer, when the timer comes out, a mechanical piece will push the key out of the way, breaking the circuit and thus the dryer Stopping shuts the off. Machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about programming something through actual physical moving pieces, mechanical pieces. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's doing the same sort of stuff that a digital controller is doing digitally. It's just doing it all mechanically and uh, with uh, electronic pieces. So. Yeah, it's kind of exciting stuff. Like, if you ever were to take one of these apart, uh, first of all, I hope you don't need it afterward, because if you do anything, you know... If, if you're anything like us, you're not going to get yeah. that back together again yeah, in no, the right order. No, no. We might be able to put something back together, but it ain't going to work. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. It'll so, yeah. look really interesting, though. Yeah, so you could actually see that there are all these little moving parts that need to come into play mm-hmm. so that they touch these contact points and create these circuits. Uh, they also usually have, in fact... As far as I know, dryers are required to have temperature shutoff switches. Uh, and these aren't to measure the temperature of your clothing, but the, the temperature of the overall unit so that if it gets too warm um, and, and is in danger of melting down the motor or any of the other operative parts or causing a fire. Yeah, causing a fire. It can shut down. Yeah, it'll just break that contact and you will lose the circuit and thus the, the dryer will shut down. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a fail safe there. And uh some of them, like we said, have the humidity sensors, mm-hmm. so they can actually measure how much humidity is within the dryer. And if it reaches below a certain threshold, then the dryer will shut off because your clothes are dry. So that it doesn't have to continue to operate and thus uh, consume more energy. Now, there are other types of clothes dryers out there. That's the basic type. That's the, the one that's the most common in the United States. But like you were saying, Lauren, it's not the only kind out there. Uh, one of them is called a condensing clothes dryer. So these don't have a vent to exhaust steam. They don't have that fan pulling the air through and venting it out. 
Instead, these dryers allow water to condense and then collect, either draining into a collection pan or, or tank, or more likely draining into the house water waste system. Uh, so if you have a washer-dryer combo, something that can act as both a washer and a dryer, it's usually this type of dryer. It's a condenser dryer more often than not. Uh, and so putting an exhaust on a washer... That would be really not good. Yeah. I mean, you've got like the wastewater exhaust, but if you had just a pipe that was mm-hmm. supposed to allow air to go through, water would go through that too. Yeah, yeah. So, right. Yeah, you, you, which would make it an inefficient washer. <laughs> right. Uh, so, yeah, then you have the heat pump dryers, like you were saying. Uh, yeah, yeah. These These have a... These have just just a normal old heat pump. Yeah. I mean, I mean the kind of thing that we were talking about in 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 our refrigerator episode, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a heat exchanger. You got a hot side and a cold side. So the cold side is really important because you've got that hot steamy air, and when you have hot steamy air meet a cold surface, that's when you have water condensing, and then that condensed water can then flow into a pan or a drain, just like in the condenser style. Uh, the warm side of the heat pump can reheat the air inside the dryer. So as the dryer air is losing energy because it's encountering that wet water and causing it to evaporate, that means that the air temperature starts to go down. But this heat pump continues that cycle. So the cold side is removing the water. The hot side is increasing the temperature. So you can have a more efficient means of drying out the clothes inside. So, again, no need to exhaust unless, uh, it, which is great, because if you don't have to exhaust this thing, like, by exhaust, I mean, you don't have to have a pipe where the exhaust air flows through. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no need for that in this model. And that's great because when you have an exhaust pipe that's open to the environment, mm-hmm. that means that you're losing some of the, the heat that you want to put inside the clothes just going out the exhaust pipe. Oh, sure, sure. And you're you're losing through that exhaust pipe that heat out into your house, which, for example, during the summer months can uh, make you run your AC more more intensely. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of a domino effect, right? Mm-hmm. So then we can talk a little bit about these future dryers, one of the which one of the ones that you uh, mentioned. So first of all, there was an idea back in the 1960s to try and use microwaves as a as a means of drying clothes. So you would make a special dryer that would be a microwave dryer. Supposedly, uh-huh. there are some of these in Japan, but I've never seen like an actual source source about it but yeah me neither the real problem with this is arcing so arcing is when you get these little plasma forms if you've ever accidentally put something metal in a microwave and here's where i tell you do not put metal in a microwave don't do that on purpose no no that's very bad but if you've ever accidentally done it then you might have seen arcing where you see these little plasma it looks like little like like lightning bolts yeah yeah or if you've ever had one of those plasma balls where you put your fingers on Uh it it's kind of like that Uh too in fact, it is like that. That, that. That's, that is exactly what that's that what's is. happening. Um, <laughs> it's not good for your microwave in general. Uh, I, I used to have a microwave that had a special stand that came with the microwave. OK, mm-hmm. that was meant for popcorn. Like you put a bag of microwave popcorn on it and it would elevate the popcorn so that it would have more uh, uniform heating. Sure. Despite the fact that this came with the microwave, which I would assume means it's safe to put in the microwave, it would occasionally arc. Not all the time, but sometimes you would get huh. an arc, and I would think, I do not want micro- microwave popcorn that badly. Yeah, that's vaguely terrifying. Yeah, so anyway, if you were to put stuff that's, like, if you had metal stuff in your clothes, either, like, change or... Or zippers. Or, yeah, or buttons or other clasps, things that are metal, then that could possibly cause this arcing problem, which could damage clothing. And, in fact, that's the main reason... We haven't really seen it implemented. There have been other people who have tested it, and there's still people who are thinking that there might be a way of doing this in a in a in a manner that's not going to make your clothes 
burn up. <laughs> right, right, which is really the purpose of me drying my clothes. I don't know about everybody else. <laughs> well, I, There are step, occasionally shirts where I'm like, no, never mind. Well, see, step one for me is I want to get my clothes dry. But step two is I do not want to burn holes in them. Uh, yes, but, okay, so as unlikely as it sounds that this could be a really viable plan, uh, this this is the kind of system that, that NASA has granted some some money to. They They granted one company specifically called Umqua, all in capital letters, because Which, why not? Yeah, it's spelled exactly the way it sounds. Umqua. Umqua. <laughs> uh, they, they, they granted them some funding through their small business innovative research program back in 2011. And um, the, the system that Umqua is working on, the last time I checked, involves um, sealing clothes in, in a vacuum bag and um, cleaning them by jetting water and soap through the bag and then drying them via microwave radiation. And then furthermore, making them all soft and cuddly with jets of air. Interesting. So you got a whole bunch of things in there that are, are similar to approaches that were, that were considered but abandoned. Failures. Yeah. yeah. So maybe this could be a terrific failure in space. In space. In space, I, nobody can clean your underwear. It's a problem. I mean, no, seriously. No, it is. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I mean, you're in a you, microgravity. You, I mean, you either, you either have to bring infinite changes of underpants with you. Right. Which that try and get that through customs. Oh, right. Right. I mean, and it's really expensive to bring stuff into space. So yeah. You don't want to do that. Yeah. I mean, you, you want to be able to wash them. Yeah. When you sit there and, and everyone think about wants that. clean underwear. Yeah. No, that is very. And if you don't, you should. Okay. We're not judging. We're just, I'm judging. Okay. We're judging a little. That wraps up this classic episode of Tech Stuff, How Clothes Dryers Work. I hope you found it interesting. If you have suggestions for topics I should cover in future episodes of Tech Stuff, let me know. Reach out to me on Twitter. The handle we use is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 